Last week we read about the, the reality of the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. And this week we read about the provision that God has made for us in that battle, the armor of God. Listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done, done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, um, it is in light of your mercy and your grace that we bring these tithes, these offerings, and these gifts before you, asking that you would use these to reveal your mighty kingdom and to cause the gospel to go out from us in both word and deed. And Father, as we ourselves prepare to sit beneath your word, we, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive the same gospel. And if we are honest, it is both frightening and strangely comforting to know that you know exactly what is going on in each and every one of our hearts. You know the pain, you know the joy, you know our confusion, you know our anxieties and our fears, you know our doubts and our anger and our secret delights. And it's frightening to know that we can't hide any of our brokenness from you. So frightening it is that we often hide it from others and we often even hide from ourselves by, in many ways, distracting ourselves from it. Um, and yet, we do confess that a hope lingers within us, a hope that you would know us as we are and that you wouldn't move away from us, but that you would move towards us in your love and in your mercy. And so we ask now as we prepare to come before your word that you would indeed move towards us that you would move towards us to reveal that we are far more broken than we can imagine. But we pray that you would move towards us as well to reveal to us that in Jesus our greatest dreams and our highest hopes have come true. And we are far more loved and far more secure, far more accepted 
than we could have ever hoped or dreamed possible. So we ask that you would do this for the glory of your Son, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> this time, uh, um, invite the children, ages 3 to 6, to be dismissed for Children's Church. Make your way to the back of the sanctuary. Uh, glad that you're here this morning. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time this Sunday, we have been traveling through Paul's letter to his friends in Ephesus, uh, this letter uh, to the Ephesians. And this morning we're in the final section of this book. And that being said, um, these verses themselves, they, they sound very strange and maybe even bizarre to our modern ears. You know, uh, we're talking about the devil and, um, and spiritual warfare. And, you know, kind of immediately we want to just say, really? You know, aren't we more sophisticated than having to talk about all of that? Um, but, you know, I, I can't go back and remake uh, the argument for Paul's worldview this morning that we made last week on verses 10 through 13. Um, but I do encourage you, you can get online and, and listen to that if you're interested. But let me at least give you some bullet points, I guess, uh, from last week so that we can kind of gain some momentum headed into these verses. Um, you know, the worldview that Paul is giving us, we talked about how it's actually not simplistic. It's actually very sophisticated, very complex, and even nuanced, right? It, it's not dismissive of either the spiritual world or human responsibility. I mean, it holds in tension our personal brokenness, right, with the reality of unseen powers of evil at work in the world. And the spiritual warfare that's in view here, it, it's, it's not what you see on the movie screens, right? It, it's not... This uh, it's not paranormal activity that Paul is alerting us to, like something you would see in The Exorcist or something like that. The warfare that he's talking about is it, it's it's subtle twists and spins of the truth, right? Uh, lies that are whispered to us, lies of temptation and lies of accusation we talked about. But, you know, we ended last week in talking about those verses 10 through 13 we ended by saying that Paul is giving us here a safe place to stand in the midst of that. And that safe place to stand, he's, he tells us, is in the armor of God. And I only briefly mentioned this last week, but, you know, we could easily say that what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you need to stand in the gospel. And hopefully this morning I want to try to flesh that out a little bit more. You know, I am, uh, I'm terrified of heights. Um, I always have been. Um, it's my, I have, I actually have recurring nightmares uh, of this, which makes me feel not very manly. Um, but, um, you know, I wake up and I can't go to sleep for hours afterwards. Um, but, you know, as you probably heard others say, it's not really, maybe it's more accurately a fear of falling, right? Because, it's the fall that's going to kill you, right? Uh, the fall from a high place. But, you know, I, years ago, um, I got pressured into going with a group of friends to go rock climbing. Um, all in all, a pretty terrible experience for me. But um, 
But, you know, we went with this professional company and they had these guys that were with us watching us, make sure we were doing everything safely. And they gave us, you know, the right shoes and the, uh, the helmet and the chalk bag and the, you know, the harness and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I was terribly nervous about this. And uh, but I went ahead and, you know, at that moment, my uh, my shame outweighed my fears in front of my friends. So I did it. I, I climbed and I got about 30 feet up and I was just I was terrified. I, I didn't think I would make it. You know, there's no way I can keep going. I just want to get off this this rock face. And um, and at that moment, it, you know, it happened. <laughs> and um, I slipped on the rock and. I mean, it's just a split second of just the worst fear I've ever experienced in my life in that moment, right? Um, But all of a sudden, in that split second, I felt it, right? I felt the rope tighten up. And I felt the harness grab hold of me, right? And all of a sudden, I I knew I was going to be safe, right? Uh, Now, I'm not saying I ever want to do that again, but... But that particular day, right, I I was able to keep going and I made it all the way to the top of this rock face. Right. Um, And I even slipped more times. But but there was something that happened in that moment when I fell that first time. Right. I, I found or discovered some freedom in that moment. Some confidence that I knew that if I did fall, I was going to be caught and I was going to be held and I was going to be safe. Right, Paul, he's closing his letter to his friends in Ephesus. And this is a strange way to close a letter, right? But he's a realist, right? And he's saying, I don't want you to be caught unaware that you have a real, dangerous, terrifying enemy. And the fight that you are engaged in, it is fierce and dangerous. But I do want you to see, as you read through these verses, uh, for all the interesting things that are in them, Paul is saying all of this, But you can almost picture him saying it with a smile on his face. Right? Because he's saying there's more to this reality than just the danger. Right? He's saying you have equipment. You have equipment that will allow you to stand firm, unmovable, and unshakable in the midst of this warfare. He's saying, yes, the devil is a terrible and terrifying enemy. But you have the armor of God. Right? And you need to find your freedom in that armor and your confidence in that armor. So here's what I want us to learn this morning. Three things. First, I want us to see where this armor comes from. And then secondly, I want to talk more specifically about what this armor actually is. And then finally, I want us to talk about how to put this armor on. So first, where the armor comes from. You know, verses 14 through 17, they have often been interpreted and applied by saying that this this instruction here that Paul is giving me here, this means that I need to become more truthful, right? Or, or, you know, I'll be wearing the armor if I become more righteous. Or when I'm prepared to share the gospel of peace, right? Or something like that. Or I'm wearing the armor means that I need to shore up my doubts, right? And, And strengthen and exercise my fear. And listen, those are good things, of course. Um, and we should be pursuing those things. I just want to say this morning that that's not the point of these verses, right? 
um, listen, the point of these verses isn't an armor that you provide by your own effort, right? But it's an armor that God provides. After all, it is called the armor of God, right? Brian Chappell, in his book uh, on, on this letter to the Ephesians, he encourages us to ask ourselves a simple question to help us think this through. And so he writes, The Apostle's point becomes evident when we ask, Who supplies truth? You see what he's saying? He's saying, Who supplies truth with a capital T? Who is it that you can think of that provides a spotless record of righteousness? Who supplies the gospel of peace? Who supplies salvation? Who supplies and makes a gift of faith, right? Who supplies the spirit? And so Chapel writes, the answer is our God, the one who provides our armor. And he's saying, if you read these verses as if they are telling you what to, what to become, you've missed the point of these verses. Paul's point is that this armor comes from God. His point is that you and I look to God in entire and complete dependence for these things. You know, we're talking, we were talking last week at some length about Satan's devices or the devil's schemes, right? And, and his lies. And, and here is a lie as old as Genesis, right? As old as Adam and Eve, right? He, there's the serpent in the garden. And what is he saying? He's saying, go ahead, take that fruit, right? God's holding out on you. You know, grab that fruit. Don't you want freedom, Adam and Eve? You know, you want to be like God, don't you? Step out from underneath these boundaries, right? You start calling the shots. You start defining what's truth for you, what's righteousness for you, what's salvation for you on your own terms. You see what he's saying? He's saying, if you really want freedom, assert your independence. And Paul is saying, if you really want freedom... Become dependent, right? I've used this illustration before, but if you've ever seen uh, time-lapse photography, right? Um, uh, You've probably seen something like this. They show this stuff on the Discovery Channel and National Geographic Channel all the time, right? The camera, it's focused on maybe a particular flower, right? And and they take pictures of that flower over a 24-hour period, but then they pull it all together and fast-forward, and you see that 24-hour period in the span of something like 20 seconds and what happens with that flower, right? And so you see something like this, that when, that when the sun comes up, you know, that flower, it actually opens its petals, right, to the sun. It, this is imperceptible to the naked eye, right? You can't see the flower actually moving like that, right? But then you see even more because as the day goes on, you see that flower that's opened its petals to the sun. It actually moves throughout the entire day, Right? It's tracing the arc of the sun throughout the sky, right? And you're seeing cloud formations, you know, zoom by and all that kind of stuff. But there in that time-lapse photography, right, what seems to be like an inanimate object to most of us most of the time, right? Under that photography, it becomes animated. And you see it come to life and you see it move. And it's just a flower after all, right? See, only in dependence, right, Only as that flower faces the sun, right, does it open its petals. Only as it faces the sun does it find the freedom to be alive in the face of the sun, right? The great reformer, uh, Martin Luther, you know, he described our sinful condition like this. Uh, 
incurvitas in se, which I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know Latin. But, um, but anyway, I just wanted to try and impress you. Um, but I do know what it means, right? Uh, it means to be curved in on oneself, right? And he's saying that's a description of who we are. We are radically turned in on ourselves in our sinful condition, right? We are not facing the sun, he's saying, right? We are turned away in on, our, in on ourselves. And that is life-choking, slavery, bondage, and death to be turned away from the sun that can only give life. You, you'll never be able to stand, right? You'll never be free until you give up your independence, Paul is saying, and look to God for the armor that only he can supply, You know, one day, someday, right, when Jesus returns and he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, one word will most definitely be stricken from our vocabulary forever. And that word is self-sufficiency. God made us to face him and to be dependent upon him for everything. That's the only place we can have real and true freedom. Now, I say all that because I think that sets us moving in the right direction through these verses and for understanding this passage. If you give me just a few more minutes, and I know these are complex verses. It's a little different than our normal Sunday. But give me a few more minutes and I'll start pulling all this together. But for now, we need to take maybe one more step into these verses, right? And second, we need to talk about what the armor actually is. And the armor I want to argue with you in this point is the gospel, Right. There's something really strange that um, that that's happening in this passage. And as you look at this passage, it's an interesting use of verb tenses for Paul. Right. So in our translation does a pretty good job of reflecting those different verb tenses here. See, in verse 13, Paul writes, therefore, take up, take up the whole armor of God. See, it's a command. Right. To put this armor on. Right. But then in verse 14, Paul writes, Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and so forth. See, the, that ver- the verb tense there, you know, having fastened or having put on, that's a verb tense that refers to a one-time action in the past that has consequences in the future, okay? Uh, that's totally nerdy to say it like that, but anyway... You see the problem here, right? You see, so which is it, Paul? Do we have to put it on or do we already have it on? And Paul is saying, yes. Yes, it's both, right? Preacher named Tim Keller, uh, he put it well, I think, when he said that Paul is telling these people, he is telling them, I want you to take what is true of you and I want you to appropriate it as a helmet, as a breastplate, Right? as a shield, and so forth. That's really, really important for us to understand this morning, to make our way through these verses. So let me say say it again. Paul is saying that we need to take what is actually true of us in the gospel, what we know to be intellectually true, in other words. He's saying we need to take that, and we need to appropriate it. We need to use that truth as an armor to defend ourselves against Satan's schemes. So, so think about this armor and how this armor really points us to the gospel. Let me give you the bird's eye view here, okay? The, the belt, it, it, it's foundational, 
right? And then you have the breastplate and the shoes and the shield and the helmet, and they go together as the gospel armor. And then down in verse 17 and 18, you see the sword or the word of God and prayer. They, they function a little differently in this group because they are the only offensive weapons that Paul lists here. And we'll get to that uh, a little later. But hopefully that division makes, makes sense. You need to keep that in mind, right? The foundation of the belt, and then all this gospel armor, and then finally the weapons of prayer and word. See, what Paul is doing, and we don't want to mess with this metaphor too much here, right? He's using this, uh, the familiar dress of a soldier in his context, right? And the reason he talks about the belt of truth first is because it's foundational to all the other pieces. All the other pieces of armor. See, yes, it's called a belt. But what you and I need to understand is that it would be better for us to think of this as an apron. Right? Because what it was was a leather sheath that that extended from the soldier's shoulders all the way down past his knees. And see, onto this, all the other elements of his armor hung and were fastened to it. The sword was fastened to it. The breastplate was fastened to it, right? It it was foundational. Here's another way to explain what I think that Paul is saying here, if you're following me, and I hope you are. Um, Paul is saying on this truth, on the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus, the Son of God, he came to live the perfect life you could not live, and he came to die the death you should have died, On that truth, upon that truth of substitutionary atonement, upon that truth of sacrificial death in your place, he's saying upon that truth hangs every privilege that you have in Jesus. A received righteousness that is yours not by working, but by believing. The gospel of peace for you in Christ. The enmity has been removed. The walls of hostility have been broken down. A faith which, with, with, with which Paul describes for us in chapter 2 of Ephesians as a gift, right? He graciously comes and opens our eyes to see our need of a Savior and to grab hold of Him. The salvation, the assurance that in Jesus we are loved and accepted fully. All those benefits hang on the truth of the gospel. The person and the work of Jesus. Paul is saying that in order to defend yourself, to defend yourself against the schemes of the devil, his whispered lies of temptation in your ear, right? His attempt to rob you of your joy and your security in the assurance of your salvation. Paul is saying, defend yourself with the truth of the gospel and all the privileges that are yours in Jesus. Use the gospel like an armor. You know, I love this story about famous basketball player uh, Bill Russell. Uh, he received all kinds of awards and honors for his basketball. And during, during the last year's, uh, I don't know if you know this, during the last year's NBA All-Star Game, right, LeBron James, he, um, he made mention of who he thought were, would be the Mount Rushmore of basketball, right? And so he mentioned Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and Oscar Robertson and uh, Magic Johnson. Bill, Bill Russell heard that. This is what he said. He said, hey, thank you for leaving me off your Mount Rushmore. I'm glad you did. Basketball is a team game. It's not for individual honors. Then he kind of lists his credentials, right? I won back-to-back state championships in high school. Back-to-back NCAA championships in college. I won an NBA championship my first year in the league. 
an NBA championship in my last year and nine in between, <laughs> right? He said, and he said, that, Mr. James, is etched in stone. Okay. In other words, this guy was pretty amazing, right? He had received lots of honors. And in 2011, he was honored with the, president, with the highest civilian award in the United States, right? The Presidential Medal of Freedom. And I watched an interview um, with him about receiving this award. And, and it was so obvious that this award meant so much to him. I mean, he's just glowing as he's talking about it, right? And so the interviewer moves in and he asks him, says, of all your awards and honors, was this the biggest honor in your life? Okay, I wrote down what he said. I had to DVR it, go back and forth a couple times. But anyway, I got it. He said, no. No. He says, it's a close second, though. And then this is what he said. He said, he was about 75 or 76 when my father said to me one day, you know, I'm proud of you. And I'm proud that you're my son. And I'm also just as proud that I'm your father. And and then he ended that little quote by saying, you cannot touch that. And listen, even even now I'm tearing up a little bit about it, right? It's a great father-son story. Um, The unbelievable power, right, of a father's words of approval and acceptance and delight. Unbelievable, right? Think with me about the story of Jesus, right? You remember how at the very beginning of his public ministry, he went into the Jordan River and he was baptized. And heaven was ripped open. And the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, we're told. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son. With him, I am well pleased. Words of approval and of acceptance and of delight. The Father beaming in love over His Son for everyone to look on and marvel at. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you feel this deep in your bones. I know that I feel it. How much we long for someone to say that about us. That this is my son, this is my daughter. With her or with him, I am well pleased. And nothing can take away my delight in him or in her. I mean, don't you know, nothing could top that. If if you got that and you felt it deep in your bones and experienced it, nothing could top that, right? Well, here's what the privileges of the gospel say to us. Because Jesus came. And live the life you could not live. And died the death we should have died. Because that happened. Those words, the gospel says, spoken to Jesus in the Jordan River. They are true of you at this very moment. The gospel says your father in heaven. Right now because of Jesus. He is beaming an absolute delight over you with words of love and approval and acceptance. Paul is saying, start appropriating that in your life, right? 
start using that as armor in your life. Take the truth of the gospel, he's saying, into your fears and into your anxieties and into your addictions and into your temptations, into your secrets, into your doubts, right? Take the wonder of the love, of the approval and acceptance of the King of Kings into the very real stuff of your life. And he's saying that is how you stand firm against temptation and accusation. All right, finally then, how do we put this armor on? How do we appropriate this armor, right? How do we make use of the armor that we already have? How do we take the gospel that we understand and believe intellectually, and how do we make it true? How do we make that same gospel sing in our hearts, right? Paul mentions these final two pieces of armor, the only offensive pieces of armor, the sword of the Spirit or the Word of God and prayer. And I think this is what he's saying. He is saying, you have to pick up the word and pick up prayer and use them. And this is the way you appropriate the gospel in your life. Through prayer and word, the gospel gets worked down into your heart. It gets kneaded into the very center of your being. You know, there's a lot that we could say about how both word and prayer function to bring the truth of the gospel into our experience. But because of time, I, I'm just going to be able to mention how the Word functions in our life. And we'll have to say prayer for another time, right? But let's talk about the Word or the Bible. See, many of us, um, I would argue, have bought into the pop psychology of our day, which says that what we really need to do is to affirm ourselves, right? We need to tell ourselves that we're lovable, that we're valuable, that we're worthy, that we're beautiful, right? I mean, this kind of stuff shows up in my Facebook feed all the time. Um, The problem with that, though, is it doesn't work. And you know it doesn't work, right? Because you could tell yourself a thousand times that you're enough, that you're valuable, that you're lovable, that you're beautiful, and so on, right? But here's what happens. A person comes along whose opinion really matters to you and whose approval you want. And they, that one person says one word to you, that you are worthless, that you are good for nothing, that you're ugly, that you're a loser. And I don't care how many times you've told yourself that, it's all wiped away in a moment. We know that's true. We know what happens. In an instant, all your positive, self-affirming talk is gone. You know, when we were little, most of us anyway, we learned that rhyme, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And then we grew up and we found out that that was nothing but a huge lie, right? Because sticks and stones may break our bones, but our bones will heal with time. And a word spoken against us can crush us to the dust and kill us and annihilate us. You know why that is? It's because you can never, you can never find healing. You can never find your worth. You can never find your value in curvitas insay. You can, you can never Find your value turned in on yourself. Right? 
Because you see, you and I, we were made. We were put together by God for a word from the outside. Words from the outside are what have power in our lives. See, the reverse is also true of all that we said about sticks and stones, right? You might question whether you're lovable, whether you're beautiful, whether you're valuable, but someone comes from the outside whose opinion really does matter to you, and they call you beautiful, they, they call you worthy of love, oh, it'll transform you from the inside out. Right? You, we know that. It has the power to heal us and undo all kinds of pain in our lives. I'll, and I am arguing that it has even more power than that. It has power to transform us completely. That's why we are always looking for those words from our friends, from a boyfriend, from a girlfriend, from a spouse, even from our children. We look for those words. Now, what is the Bible? Except for this, God's, the very word of God to you, a word from the outside, an objective word that has the power to heal you and transform you. Think with me, why do you think the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court? I mean, to a degree we understand that. He's saying I'm not looking for the approval of men, of others, right? I'm not a people pleaser, we might say. But then he says this, Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Listen, that's next level kind of stuff, right? I mean, because he he is saying, your opinion doesn't matter of me, and my opinion of me doesn't matter either. How can he be that free? He says it in the next verse. It is the Lord who judges me. In other words, he is saying, I've had a word from the outside spoken into my life. A verdict from God himself has been given to me. And that verdict is that in Jesus, I am the beloved son of my father in heaven. I'm asking you, do you know how to use the word like that in your life? Because when you take it up like that in your life, it's like a sword. It is like a sword, right? To do battle against the schemes of the devil. That, this word, Paul is saying, is a, is a love letter from the creator of the universe to you. Where is he? I mean, he's value you? Are you kidding? I gave my only son so that I could have you forever. Love you? He is saying, you are my treasure. I sold everything so that I could get you. Find you beautiful to my son to whom belongs everything in the universe? I am giving you as a bride to him. It doesn't matter what anyone thinks or even what you think about yourself. When you begin to take up God's word and see that verdict that he passes on you, that has the power to heal you and transform you. Because look, when the devil comes, and this is reaching back to last week a little bit, right? When the devil comes and he whispers his lies in your ear to tempt you and to accuse you, when you are wearing this armor, when through the the word you have this truth needed into your heart, I mean, you are able to resist temptation and you are able to easily quench the fiery darts of accusation. 
Right? Because in that moment of temptation, that moment that comes to say you can find life outside of God, real fulfillment outside of Him, right? to find pleasure outside of Him, and you're able to say, what more could I want than has already been given to me in Jesus? What, and in that moment of accusation, to be reminded that Romans 8, 1, right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul could not say this any stronger. He, he's not saying you aren't condemned. He is saying if you are in Christ Jesus, the possibility of condemnation doesn't even exist for you. It's completely off the table. That's how you deal with the devil's devices and schemes. You know, I'm sorry I couldn't spend more time talking about prayer this morning, uh, but it's just a, a time thing. Um, but, but here, let me end like this. You know, familiar, if you read through Paul's letters, you know that the ending of this letter is familiar to a lot of his other letters, right? Um, in verses 23 and 24, he says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all, all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It's what we call a benediction, right? That's, what, that's how Paul closes his, his letters often. And every Sunday in our order of worship, that's how we end our time together, with the benediction. And it's not because we couldn't think of any other way to close it nicely. Um, there's a theological reason for it, right? Benediction means, right, a good word. A good word, right? A good word from God spoken to his people. You know, God relates to his people through a covenant, right? And in that covenant, promises are made. But attached to those promises are blessings and curses, right? So if you fail to keep the covenant, you get the curses. If you keep it, you get the blessings. All of us have broken the covenant, right? And Paul explains in Galatians why Jesus, or what Jesus was actually accomplishing on the cross, right? Paul says, Jesus became a curse for us. For it is written, cursed are all who hang upon a tree. See, at the end of this service, we're going to invite you again to receive the benediction. It's not a prayer. Lift up your heads and receive the Lord's benediction. You are, to, you are to lift up your heads. And hear this word. Spoken to you. From the outside. And what I want you to understand. Is that you get the benediction. Because Jesus got the malediction. You get the blessings. Because he got the curses. Right? Jesus did not hear a benediction upon the cross. He heard the Lord curse you. The Lord shun you. The Lord forsake you, right? Turn his face away from you. Be angry with you. The Lord give you hell. That's what he heard. So that you and I can hear the benediction. He got the curses so we could get the blessing. And if you begin to work that into your heart, Paul is saying, and I'm saying to you this morning, 
you will find freedom. Freedom to defeat your enemies. Freedom to deal with the lies of temptation and accusation that are always flying at you and at me. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for your word. We thank you that you made us, informed us, that we would turn and face you, and in doing so, that we would find life in you. Father, we pray that you would help us to take up the armor of the gospel. We pray that you would make real to our hearts what we know to be true with our minds. Father, we pray that you would help us to hear your word to us and to know that because of what Jesus has done for us, we are loved, we are valued, we are treasured, we are beautiful in your sight, no matter what we feel at this very moment, if we are in Jesus that there is no condemnation for us and that the blessings are all ours because Jesus took the curse in our place. Father, we pray that your word, your gospel, it would set us free to be the people you made us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.